And one of the things I think we use in our diagnostic criteria so much is that it's affecting the outside. Like we base our diagnoses on how much it's affecting the people around us, not necessarily how much it's affecting us. And so if we develop all these external coping skills that allow us to function and we're not disrupting other people's lives, it can be taking a huge internal toll and then it gets dismissed. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at Brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Are you feeling burned out as a parent? Are you worried that family struggles will only get worse as the weather gets colder? Registration for the 2022, you heard that right, guys, 2022, it's right around the corner. Anyway, registration for the 2022 ADHD Essentials Winter Parent Coaching Groups is open. The groups are built to help reduce that burnout, that feeling of overwhelm, and to help you feel more connected to other parents who are experiencing the same struggles. The groups begin on Monday, January 24th, and run for eight weeks on Mondays and Thursdays. We meet for one hour at 12 p.m. or at 5 p.m., depending on which section is better for you. I just want to highlight that this time around, we will be meeting on Mondays and Thursdays. So if in the past you've not been able to sign up because of that Wednesday session, it's gone! We're doing Thursdays instead. Each of the eight weeks has its own theme. Week one is parental self-care. Week two is parenting as leadership. Week three, building connection. Week four, improving communication. Week five, ADHD-friendly systems and structures. Week six, managing anxiety. Week seven, we look at my patented wall of awful model. And in week eight, we talk about asking better questions, using questions to build executive functions, and I invite you to bring your questions. There is, of course, time throughout the groups for people to ask as many questions as we can fit in. But given the nature of the groups, that time is not infinite. So I open week eight up with more space for your questions. The groups are split roughly equally between content and connection. We spend time connecting as parents, discussing our struggles, discussing our successes, and we also spend time reviewing the content built into those themes for the eight weeks. We meet over Zoom, so it doesn't matter where you are, and the fee for the groups is $976. That's payable all at once or over four installments of $244. I do have a limited number of scholarships available, so if that price is a little high for you, reach out anyway and I'll see what I can do. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups for more details and to register for a free information session. Or email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Both will get you to where you need to be. Just make sure you include your phone number in that email so I can get back to you as quickly as possible. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, The Flagship Show, 
Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and the ADHD-Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Mabin. Don't forget to join all of us in the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network this Tuesday, December 14th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern for a live Q&A. Go to ADHDrewired.com events to register. And if you want to support this show, if you appreciate the work that I'm doing here, a great way to say thank you, a great way to maybe send me a little holiday gift, is to provide a rating and review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice. It helps others find the show, and it makes me feel pretty good to read them. Finally, this episode, like so many others, was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. Check out idealvideostrategies.com to learn more about his work. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Aurora Remember Holtzman. Aurora is a school psychologist, a neurodivergence coach, and host of the Embracing Intensity podcast. Her focus is on giftedness and twice exceptionality. In today's episode, Aurora discusses just that, giftedness and twice exceptionality. She talks to us about the challenges of twice exceptionality, how ADHD and giftedness can mask each other, executive function fatigue and burnout, common challenges for the gifted, and why giftedness should not be confused with achievement. All right, let's get rolling. I am a school psychologist and also neurodivergent coach, podcaster, educational specialist. I do all sorts of fun stuff. More recently, I've been really focusing more on twice exceptionality because there's been, in my view, a huge lack of resources, especially from the first person perspective. (laughs) And this is a topic that I haven't, I haven't really played with too much since the last time you were on, which was probably two years ago at this point. And you're, you're sort of uniquely suited to talk about it because you've got the school psych perspective. You've got the adult with two E perspective. So we can kind of play in a lot of different areas that are hopefully useful for the audience. Can you start by just defining our terms? Like what does two E mean? What are we paying attention to? Yeah, yeah. So uh, twice exceptionality is being both gifted and disabled. Usually it's some sort of learning or thinking difference or other neurodivergence. So ADHD, autism, learning disability are some of the most common ones. It is notable in that folks who are 2E have some areas that are in the very, very, very high range, but then they also have other areas that are significantly low. And so that gap between skills can be extremely frustrating and often one can mask the other. So they may get identified gifted, but the disability gets ignored or the other way around, or they may just appear to wash each other out and both get unrecognized. I know for ADHD, it seems like either it's a wash or the ADHD gets diagnosed and the giftedness less so. Like I, my overall impression of giftedness is that it's kind of something we're not really paying very close attention to. And, and I mean that sort of culturally. It doesn't seem to get the kind of publicity that ADHD and autism and various other neurological disorders and neurodiverse challenges get. And my best guess to that is that it's considered to be only positive, even though that's not accurate. Like people are just like, oh, well, you're gifted. Then you're just a smarty pants better than me. And so that's kind of 
my impression. Am I understanding that with any degree of accuracy? Well, I definitely think it's true about why why we don't talk about it as much, I think. And it's also, there's this like elitist idea, right? That it's, you're somehow elitist if you talk about giftedness, but, um, but it is a very distinct cognitive profile when you have these huge peaks and valleys and it does require a different approach to education. If, you know, you have people in your life that don't really understand you, it can be a problem. But as far as the identification piece goes, it can go both ways because there definitely are gifted folks who are ADHD and don't realize that they're gifted because a lot of our measures for gifted programs, for example, are not ADHD friendly. The group tests, not ADHD friendly. I was fortunate that my kid was able to actually show their ability in that setting, but that was out of, they, they were highly motivated in that moment. But um, I, for me, it took many years. I had friends that were all being identified, and it wasn't until fifth grade that I was. And at that point, I scored so high to me to my parents to take to send me to a full-time gifted program, which actually saved me from a very bad elementary experience. But then they tried to kick me out in, in high school <laughs> for underperformance. <laughs> so like my middle school years, I'm one of those weird ones that my middle school years were actually my best school years in terms of uh, school fit because I had a very small class. But as far as the identification piece goes, one thing that's interesting because I'm also in parent spaces and adult spaces is that parents are really hesitant to label their kids with a disability, but they're like totally happy to label their kids with giftedness if it's, if it applies. But when you're in spaces with adults who were late diagnosed, especially, they wish they were diagnosed sooner and they're not really fans of the gifted label because of how it was treated and the expectations that were put on them. And my understanding of giftedness is that it's kind of a disability in its own. It can be. Because it's bringing this like level of drive and intensity that doesn't always work in some circles, maybe even most circles. And the asymmetrical development that comes with giftedness, which is just some parts of your abilities, develop at different rates, right? You're not, you're not developing cognitively in an equal way, right? So it's almost like if we put it in physical terms, it would be like your left arm is just wicked long and your right foot has like the longest toenails in the world and your right thigh is abnormally strong for like a young kid. Mm -hmm. And eventually kind of this will all, you know, figure itself out and you'll have a normal looking body, normal brain sort of ish. But that's not how the development happens. It's not like uniform development across the board. It's peaks and valleys. And I can deeply understand like astrophysics when I'm 10, but I can't do my homework or I can, I totally get all the math stuff, but I can't relate to my peers. And that that's hard. That to me is a disability, even looking at it in sort of a, a different kind of lens of like, I can understand astrophysics but I can't clean my room and I don't understand what my peers are talking about. Like that, that's gotta be hard too. Am I, do I have a, a good lens on this or am I missing something? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where, where it becomes, you know, a challenge to determine, is there a disability outside of that? Or is it, you know, the goodness of fit of 
someone who's gifted, but not in an environment that's suited to them. And I think the biggest, I think the biggest clarification of that is that if they were in an optimal environment, then someone who's gifted would probably be able to demonstrate all of their potential or whatever that word, you know, whatever, that's a dirty word, I think sometimes, (laughs) potential, (laughs) at least for us. (laughs) But, um, but I think someone with a disability, even in those optimal environments, they're still going to need, you know, more accommodations or supports or that sort of thing. One of the things that that I didn't even really realize I had always connected my ADHD traits with my chronic pain and fatigue, but I hadn't really realized until I actually got diagnosed and the medication helped my headaches that were caused, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was working from home, that executive functioning fatigue, it's exhausting. And, um, and so all these years I was coping through external strategies, but those external strategies take a toll. Executive functioning fatigue is nothing to sneeze at. It's a big deal. I didn't realize how significant it was until COVID either, because I I was doing way more executive functioning stuff than I'm really equipped to handle for well over a year, just coming out of it now. Um, but I hear you on that. That That's really challenging. And particularly when you're gifted, right? Because I I like to think of myself as kind of light gifted. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm gifted. I've been tested and all that stuff and it yeah, came back as gifted. Are. I just, <laughs> it's, it's confusing to me, right? Because I think of this sort of intensity piece to, to giftedness and sort of the drive that comes with it. And I'm like, I don't think I have that. But then I look back at what I've done and I'm like, but I do have like 200 episodes of a podcast posted without missing a week. And like, yeah, I do a lot of stuff. So maybe I'm just wrong. Like, Well, and I think it depends on how we look at drive, right? Like if we're looking at it from a capitalistic perspective or if we're looking at it from a, like I'm, I'm driven in the areas that I'm interested in, which, you know, a lot of ADHD folks are, but that motivation piece, and that's something that I have some issue with the model. I guess it's similar to the, you know, intensity, complexity, and drive is the model that the gifted adult book uses. And I'm going to be honest and say some of the stories she shares, I'm pretty sure are 2E. Like she, she tries to claim it's just giftedness, but like there's one story that is so clearly hyperactive and, (laughs) and she dismisses the idea of meds. Like it's this horrible thing. And so I, I always give that preface about that book. I think that hyperactive piece is important, right? Because how do you differentiate between giftedness intensity and ADHD hyperactivity. You know, a lot of it is in how it, how much it's impacting our day-to-day life, right? If it's becoming an issue of where it's having a negative impact, then it, you know, maybe it is disabling. Again, if you were in an optimal environment, would it still be an issue? That's that's a question. I mean, I I, I could be in the most optimal environment, my executive functioning skills would still be <laughs> lacking. That's kind of interesting, right? Like the way you're sort of splitting that hair by kind of not splitting it. You're sort of like, oh, well, you know, like giftedness intensity and ADHD hyperactivity might be the same thing. And it just depends on the water that the fish is in. The phrase I use that I stole from from my friend Chandler Creedon is, is it the fish or is it the water, right? Like where's the problem coming from? And sometimes it's, oftentimes it's the fish and the water, but we want to be looking at both of those things. And that's that's the optimal environment concept, right? Is like, that's the water. How's the water doing for this fish? 
I guess I kind of struggle with drawing a distinction between ADHD and giftedness kind of in some ways, because they seem like they have some similar traits when you control for a level of intelligence, I guess. Outside of that, they seem like they have some similar traits, including I am smarter than my executive functions. So like if you have developmentally appropriate executive functions and a gifted intellect, so you're 10 and can understand astrophysics, there's frustration there. And if you have developmentally appropriate intelligence, so you're 10 and doing like what 10-year-olds would do, but your executive functions are happening at like a seven-year-old level, right? You could have the same gap, but define it differently, it almost seems like, based on performance. Am I understanding this? Yeah. Or am I just confusing things? No, totally. And that's the thing. And I think that's the thing that's so frustrating for people who are both gifted in ADHD is that sometimes they get dismissed for diagnosis because they are achieving at a higher level, uh, you know, they, they academically or even work or whatever, but the, the toll that it takes, that executive functioning fatigue can be extreme. And one of the things I think we use in our diagnostic criteria so much is that it's affecting the outside. Like we base our diagnoses on how much it's affecting the people around us, not necessarily how much it's affecting us. And so if we develop all these external coping skills that allow us to function and we're not disrupting other people's lives, it can be taking a huge internal toll and then it gets dismissed, especially because people get confused with, you know, because we think of higher level thinking and lower level thinking, we think of it in levels. We think if you can do the higher level thinking, then the lower level stuff should come easy, right? And as you know, that's not the case. <laughs> you can be fantastic with all this cerebral, conceptual, like complicated stuff, but have a really hard time with things that are super basic in most people's book. And they don't understand, well, you can do this. Why can't you do that? I've got clients all over the place with that, right? Like I've got a client working on Broadway who's like, but I can't keep my apartment clean. Mm -hmm. Jessica McCabe and I talked not that long ago about how she's literally changing the world, but struggles to navigate having a clean car. That stuff all matters. And that that's such a huge frustration piece for the gifted kids, for the ADHD kids. And, and it's it's interesting too. When you have a gifted kid, as, as a father of gifted kids, right? Both of my guys are gifted. There's no, there's no way they're not. They, they took it. I don't know if I've told this in the podcast before. If I have, I'm sorry. I'm over 200 episodes at this point. The story's blur. They did a diagnostic intelligence test. So it, it was like, and what I mean by that, I'm probably using the wrong terms, is the test had not come out yet. It was like they were, that's what I want. They were calibrating this intelligence test, right? For some big intelligence test testing company that a friend of the family was doing, was calibrating and they broke it. <laughs> like they scored off the charts on what this test was trying to do. And our, our friend was like, uh, yeah, your kids, your kids broke the calibration test. So not really sure what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Something people don't know is that they're at, on a lot of those tests, like the WISC, for example, has extended norms. And so there's a chart you can find online if you have the raw score. But my kid did that on a couple subtests and I didn't get I didn't get the raw score. And so now I'm kicking myself because I don't know 
this the actual score because there's were several that were topped out on that chart. And one of the things that I find, I don't even know what word to put to it. I like my heart goes out to my kids is really the only way to 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 say it. One of the things that I is almost concerning. I almost worry about them because of this, but it's not that's not the right word. Um, there's probably a word in German for it that I don't know. But what's difficult to watch is that they can understand things cognitively at a really high level. Like they and they see they they have that ten thousand foot view, right, of the world and systems and everything, and knowing like this big existential perspective that they are not emotionally capable or maturity wise capable of handling. Like they're just not there. And that disparity to talk about the asymmetrical development stuff that can happen with gifted kids and gifted folks in general, it's, it's just really challenging for them where we, my wife and I have to be careful about what, and I recommend all parents do this anyway, but we sort of especially have to be careful about what kind of current event stuff we're talking about, what conversations we're having about like the health of family members and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause they just put these pieces together. And sometimes they're, the pieces they put together are amazing in their insights. And sometimes it's like, Ooh, you're so close. Like that's not actually what's going on here. Cause you kind of pick like any human is going to do. They kind of pick the most emotionally charged perspective, which is also often scary as opposed to, or upsetting as opposed to like delightful. Cause no one picks the delightful story unless they are taught how to do that. And, and that's, a, that's another challenging component for all gifted kids. I've had clients with the same challenges. Do you have any advice on what to do with that? That's a good question. I mean, I, I I deal with that sometimes as well. (laughs) And I think that's, you know, and it's funny because I think one of the things that drew me to working more with adults um, is that we have a little more um, agency in, in our choices uh, than kids do. And of course, working with parents, you have a little bit more um, with that as well. But there's, uh, there's a book, Searching for Meaning by James Webb, and he's the founder of Sang. And um, they have a really fantastic, he has a really fantastic section about coping skills, like both positive and negative coping skills. And a lot of, a lot of his um, work is around that kind of existential, I mean, his whole platform of saying is, is about that social emotional piece and finding small ways that they can make a difference is, is I think one thing, but yeah, I think you're right. Being careful about how much detail we go into certain topics is also helpful. And something I heard, it was actually a coach who does coaching for activism stuff. Um, like in her name, she talked about, um, basically pick the one thing you can do that will have the most positive impact and do that. And like realize that we can't do everything. We can't fix everything. There's way too many things going on, but I think it's true for kids even is like, if you find one little thing that you can like focus your energy on that makes a difference, it can be a positive thing. I know that's helped with the boys. It's not even just making a difference, right? It's, it's when they can affect things, when they, when they can make something, when they can, feel accomplished in some regard, that is critical for them. And and that was challenging during COVID because our world was smaller. So there are only so many ways that they could feel accomplished. 
there are only so many things I could provide to them to get them to feel accomplished. And they were only like so cooperative with me at some points, like any kid, totally understandable. I'm not complaining about my children here, but sometimes they would go through weeks where they're like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like I've already built this thing. They made hands-free sanitizer stations early on in COVID. And like they made one for my sister and and two more for my sister, my other sister and my brother-in-law, all of whom are teachers. Cause like we all just whole families doing education stuff. And then my neighbor who loaned us a saw to use to cut the PVC piping because he's a contractor saw it. And he was like, those are awesome. I want to order one and like offered them, like paid them for the, for the thing and to make it. And they mm-hmm. did not want to make a fourth. Like they were done. <laughs> and that, that, that's a piece of probably kids in general, but I'm assuming that's a piece of giftedness as well. Where like much like, and certainly it's a piece of ADHD where you're like really interested in this thing. And then I'm not anymore. Like it's just, I did it. I proved that I could do it. And now I don't need to do that ever again. Yeah. Yeah. My kid was into, wanted to get into animation and my friend actually offered him an opportunity to help animate a video game, which was the cool, a cool opportunity, but it was really bad timing because it was the beginning of the school year, the first, you know, the full COVID school year. And it was such a stressful, like he just felt like he had all this work for work, he didn't want to add work to his plate. So he did some of it, but I ended up taking a lot. I learned a lot about animate and stuff like that. So that was fun. But yeah, it was kind of a bummer because the timing had the timing been different and he had had less on his plate, not going through a pandemic schooling and all that he might have actually really gotten more into it. Uh, But yeah, he was just done. When you're talking and working with parents, what are some of the frequent flyer challenges that you're helping them navigate? And and what what are your pieces of advice for those difficulties? I think a big thing is the focus, like the over-focus on academics and the idea that, you know, like gifted should be all about maximizing their potential and all of that. The best thing I ever heard about gifted education, both as a parent and as an educator, is our job is to keep the spark of learning alive. And I just, I love that. And that's been pretty much my philosophy as a parent and an educator is like, I'm not concerned. I mean, my kid could be doing way more in math, for example. And I am having a thing about algebra this, you know, just because of some things that happened recently and pushing for that. But that's really more just because at some point you have to do that (laughs) for future possibilities. And if, if the school environment isn't somewhere where that's happening, finding other ways that, that they can keep that spark alive, because that's, I think the biggest challenge to me, like, I don't care if my kids advancing maximum, I think there's something to be said for depth and complexity and, and doing, you know, doing things deeper, not further. Um, And in fact, that's what brought me to do the, um, the animation stories that I did the one of, of you, but it was also because I was sitting through a conference and it was like uh, the whole, all of the gifted stuff was all about advancement, 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 academic acceleration. And all of the people talking were educators and parents and not people with personal experience. And so that's, I had this idea of doing a, um, maybe a blog or something. And then I thought that's, I don't have time for that. That's a lot of work. And then I thought I have a lot of stories of twice exceptionality on the podcast that I can share. And so that's what I started doing the animations and started doing, I'm putting together the um, the book of comics on it, but that's going to take longer because I have to hand animate. 
or illustrate, but that I think finding more stories of, of people who've gone through those experiences. So, you know, like you and Seth Perler and Emily Kircher Morris, and, you know, there's all these people that have a lot of personal stories to tell. And I think connecting with those personal stories can be really helpful for parents and kids. Yeah. And, and for listeners who are like podcast, what podcast it's called embracing intensity and you should listen to it and it'll be linked in the show notes and all that kind of fun stuff. I want to play with this notion of push forward with academics, push forward with academics, push forward with academics, go, 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 go. Because it runs counter to something that I advise everyone on. This is not just not just for 2E kids. This is for ADHD kids. This is for neurotypical kids. This is kind of for everybody. And that is when it comes to your kids, slow down. They're going to be okay. My favorite example of this comes from a preschool workshop that I did because it's just so stark and it metaphorically, it expands to all age levels, right? Or just about all age levels. There was this grandmother in this workshop I was doing for at a preschool. It was like after, after the school was closed, it was like an evening workshop for parents and stuff and their staff. There's a grandmother there and she goes, every day when my granddaughter comes home, I like quiz her on shapes because she doesn't know her shapes. And I was like, have you ever met a 10 year old who doesn't know their shapes? And she was like, no, pump the brakes on your three-year-old. Like Mm -hmm. she's three, like it doesn't matter. She's going to learn her shapes, at least Mm -hmm. the ones that matter. Like she might not be able to tell you what a dodecahedron is, but who cares that drive to, to make the kid go faster, whether it's, through giftedness or my ADHD kid is falling behind too quickly or whatever is silly because it just makes everything harder when we start pushing them at an accelerated rate or at, or at a rate that is not appropriate for their development, whatever that development happens to be. And as a guy who reinvented himself pretty much in my forties and is doing really well now, like I changed my career And I remember when I was doing it, I was like, oh man, I guess it was kind of in my thirties, like late thirties, early forties. And I realized that professionally speaking, I wasn't halfway done yet, right? Like assuming your professionalness starts at, let's say 21 to make the math easy, right? Because that's about when you graduate from college anyway. So 21 ish. And I know giftedness, you might graduate sooner, but I just said, pump the brakes. So humor me. And let's assume we're going to retire at 65, even though probably that's going to be later than that by the time our kids grow up and probably for us too. Some of us may never retire, but let's pretend that that's that's the range, right? That's 44 years. So if you're 45, you're still not halfway there yet. If I did all that math right, you're, you're, at, you're exactly halfway to, to retirement. So like you're halfway through your professional career and you're not going to have the same profession the whole time. So chill, you'll be okay. Yeah. And that's actually what shifted me as well. Cause I, I, I was looking at retirement and, and then I had like another 25 years and I just couldn't see myself full-time in schools for 25 more years. So that's kind of what made me kind of move in that direction. But I think the, I think part of the perspective for parents in terms of that pushing is like, being in gifted adult spaces and neurodivergent adult spaces and seeing so many adults reject the gifted part 
the reason that they do that is because of the anxiety, right, of the, the expectations that were put on them. And that, um, you know, gifted kid burnout is a thing, you know, <laughs> and I, and it, it's, it's makes me sad because it's still a part of, of who you are. It doesn't just go away. You don't, you know, when people refer to themselves in the past as gifted and in quotes, they don't feel like it still applies to them because maybe they didn't achieve in the way that was expected. And so um, that's kind of, for me, uh, I think perspective for parents is understanding that adults now, you know, the expectations put on them was the stressor, not necessarily like the giftedness is going to give them a different experience and have some, some challenges, but then adding that expectation, especially for 2E is a problem. And also, if we're pushing our kids incredibly hard academically, and I don't, I don't really care if this is a two-e thing or not, what we're not providing them with is space to figure out what their passions are and what their interests are, because there just aren't enough hours in the day to chase down the thing that you find interesting. Because you're taking more classes or in more clubs or whatever, and I recognize that some of this works across purposes. Like most things in life, it's more complicated than that because one of the ways you find those passions is by taking classes and signing up for clubs, like totally valid. That's all there. And they should be doing that. And so should the adult in the audience too. Like go play with something and figure out if you like it or not. But if we're too slammed, if we're in the play and band and chess club and playing rugby, you're not going to have the space to breathe, let alone to figure out which of those things is going to be your jam. Yeah. And oftentimes the executive functioning that it takes just to function in school can be enough. Like that's during the school year, that might be all you can take. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we often underestimate the role that transitions play in our kids' lives at school. You go to school and you're taking what, five or six classes probably there's a transition between each of those classes where you're shifting cognitively and physically and emotionally into a different realm. Mm -hmm. And I think parents often think of school as kind of like work. Like my kid goes to school and they're in this building all day long and they're doing school and then they come home. But that isn't really the case. Like if you went to work and you spent your first hour replying to emails and your second hour crunching numbers and your third hour, I don't know, building something and then you got like a half an hour to eat lunch in a really loud cafeteria where people maybe were throwing things and there was a lot of social tension and then you went to your next class which was like randomly asking you about stuff that happened 150 years ago and then you went to a class after that and you were like messing with chemicals and bunsen burners and then you went to another class and had or then you went to another hour and your next job, part of your job was to sing for 45 minutes. And then you're expected to act in a play. And then you got to go home. That's crazy. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to work at that job. Especially because you're also going through different offices as well. You're not even in the same room. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's one of the things that I always kind of laugh because I, since eighth, great I think I would every spring have this like full-on crash and that year it was like a massive depression and and every year I kind of have that crash in the spring and I 
I kind of laugh that I went into education, which is like the one system I could function in, but also the most taxing on my system. So it's a, it's a challenge. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Giftedness is not achievement. They're not the same thing. When we confuse giftedness with achievement, we're missing out on identifying people who need support. And we're also putting expectations on ourselves that may not be healthy. And when I look a lot of times at information on like levels of giftedness and stuff, even those kind of have an academic filter. Just because we don't achieve at a certain level doesn't necessarily make us any less gifted. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.